Hi everyone, this is Jean-Marc. I am the creator of DataMesh, uh, the founder of Next Data. We are reimagining what data sharing could look like. We are growing our team rapidly and we need you. If you're a distributed systems engineer, if you're a product manager or designer of a large-scale PaaS SaaS infrastructure, please check out our page at nextdata.com and look at our open roles. We'd love to hear from you. A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Hurlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP and Field CDO at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading contributor to Trino, the open source project, and the Data Mesh for Dummies book that I co-wrote with Colleen Tarto and Andy Mont. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left DataStacks, you know, thanks for all their help in ha- founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introductions and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Driving to better healthcare patient outcomes through data. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Smirti Kirubanadan, a healthcare and public health data expert at a large consulting firm. To be clear, though, she was only representing her own views on the episode. Much of the challenges and opportunities we discussed in this episode are more on kind of the U.S. side because of the not-so-well-functioning healthcare system there, right? So what are some key takeaways or thoughts from Smirti's point of view? Number one, in healthcare, it's easy to lose sight of the patient in the data. Focusing solely on on a condition, an area of the body, uh, or a set of data instead of an actual person. It's vitally important to be focused on the data through a lens of treating the patient as an entire person. Number two, a controversial one. It can sound time-consuming to interact with data in, quote, a much more intimate format, much like one-on-one conversation with the data, but it's very important to drive to, to do that to do better outcomes. Instead of automated decisioning by, you know, some AI that's not all that well-coded usually, we can point our tooling to compile the relevant information, 
better to for people to make decisions faster without removing the care or the, the person involved. Machines making automated decisions leads to worse patient outcomes. Number three, quote unquote, obviously privacy is important. Ethics is important. How do we interconnect this data and how do we get to communicate amongst the payers and providers? So that way physicians can look at a much more complete picture of the patient to treat them better. Number four, there are many organizations collecting important health data about people. We need to rally around the patient outcomes instead of the financial outcomes and really make it easy to combine that data. Easier said than done, of course. Number five, potentially controversial one, companies with important health data need to lean forward at the table to buy in on collaborating around sharing data with other companies that have that health data, or we will continue to have suboptimal patient outcomes. Number six, more organizations should make it possible to kind of act local relative to individual health. Instead of every decision being a very complex one, can we make things easier to simply make health progress, if not, quote, unquote, you know, fix everything for someone's health? Basically, make it easier to make small decisions around more concrete and focused areas, much like kind of what a domain does in Data Mesh. Number seven, it's very important to empower people to leverage their own health data, so we have to focus on getting them access and then giving them the power to do something with their data to drive those better outcomes. Number eight, there are three big issues we need to tackle simultaneously. Number one, how do we give access to relevant and useful data to caregivers? The second, how do we ensure digital equity? And the third, how do we share data ethically? Again, hard ta- <laughs> all, each one is a hard question, and we have to do those kind of all simultaneously. Number nine, think about interoperability. Can I pull data from one system to integrate into my system versus interconnectivity? A more two-way interoperability integration with the data being able to flow back and forth instead of just can I consume from this upstream. It's that kind of two-way communication. Smirti believes we need to focus on that interconnectivity far more. Number 10, especially in something as important and complex as healthcare, It's crucial for the data and engineering people to stay focused on target outcomes and not get lost in the code or the data work. A shared vision at the project and organization level are key to maintaining that kind of focus. Number 11, many data projects go wrong because we still struggle with communication. Not that we aren't communicating, but keeping all parties to data work aligned and in sync as learnings emerge is incredibly hard and data work needs to allow some gray areas, which it often doesn't do well currently. We, we kind of have a one or a zero attitude versus this is where we think this is headed or this is what we believe that this is saying, but we have X um, confidence in it, you know, X percent of confidence in it. Number 12, Value-based care is a really important aspect of getting people the best care, and data can help support that well, but it requires a lot of ethics and transparency to get there. Finally, number 13, potentially controversial one, digital twins of actual people could change healthcare in major ways. If done right, it could greatly improve the ability to treat patients because of the ability to 
test against negative health outcomes and find more optimal treatment plans. Smirti is really big on this um, digital twins of an actual human and how we might uh, attempt a couple of different treatment plans against that person. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. very excited for today's episode. I've got Smirti Kirabanadan here, who is the healthcare and public health data expert um, at a, a large firm, And but she is only representing her own views today. We're going to be talking about a lot of things around health and data and like what is appropriate, what's not, how can we do better with personalized care while still kind of protecting the privacy, how can we do all of these different aspects and um, like kind of what what are some interesting cutting edge things that people are doing with with data in the health space? So I'm very excited about this because it's a very interesting topic and I'm kind of stupid on it. So I'm excited to learn more and get a little bit deeper. But uh, before we jump into that, if you don't mind, could you give people a bit of an introduction to yourself and then we can jump into the conversation at hand? Uh, Scott, thanks for having me. And uh, you're being too humble. You're an expert. You run the podcast. So some credibility is uh, due to you. Um, to the audience, my name is Smriti Kirbanandan, also called as Simi. Uh, background is primarily robotics and public health. Uh, I serve a large organization uh, called TADA uh, globally for the healthcare and life sciences vertical. I'm also a journalist and I have my own podcast called the HLTH Forward, which interviews healthcare and health tech executives. But I'm big on data because I think data is critical and can change lives, can really uh, make an impact in healthcare. And so I'm really excited for this conversation, Scott. Yeah. And, and one place that we were looking at kind of starting is, especially in healthcare, there's kind of, there's the science of, of data collection, and but there's also an art to it, right? Of what is okay, what is ethical, what is not ethical? What is, how do we think about intersecting with the person so that they don't feel like they're being taken advantage of? How do we think about the like treating the person as a person instead of a data set. How do we think about that? Like, how do you make sure that you're not starting from an aspect of I want to collect as much information on this person as possible instead of treat this person as a person and that we're collecting information about that person? Great question. And, uh, you know, I think it's obviously difficult, easier said than done. Uh, but I think, you know, most of our practice, because either there's uh, workforce issues or people don't have so much time, we, within the healthcare system, we start viewing data as exactly what it is, right? It's numbers, words put together, quick decisions to be made. Uh, so it's, so the question becomes everything from the lens we view it from. So what is the lens we need to view the data as, right? Because the data is basically information about a human being in this context, about a patient, and the decisions we get to make, I think we start need to start viewing the data we receive in a more holistic format and start looking at, okay, now we receive this data and the decisions that we're going to make is going to impact this person's life, right? So one of the articles I recently wrote was our prior authorization of claims. 
So when we get these claims to be approved by payers or insurance, you know, the, whether it's an algorithm or a person reviewing these claims, they just view this as a quick decision or billing code to be, you know, kind of matched to in order to reject or accept, right? So that's a perfect example of how are we viewing this data. We're viewing data as a structural entity to make a quick decision. So the my point of view is we need to start receiving, viewing, and interacting with data in a much more intimate format as just as much as you and I interacting human to human. And I know it sounds tough and we are kind of bootstrapped for time, but I think that is really what we need to do uh, in terms of when you're you know, having all these technology innovations, but to really bring in that layer of intimacy and empathy so that we can really start viewing data as not just any data, but as a point of interacting with every human being. And when you say like we, who who do are you thinking of when you're talking about that? Because that can be the insurance companies or that can be the doctors, that can be kind of third parties that are um, trying to offer services to help people to find better solutions to what they're doing. Like, how do you think about that? Or is it just kind of everybody and we all need to kind of collaborate more? Like, because that that's where you start to say, okay. Uh, how can we actually share data appropriately? And all of it just it, it becomes this kind of snowball of I get I get like a, a headache trying to think about how how do we manage that at the high level versus the, the lower level. Yeah, you're not alone, right? So I think you know obviously privacy is important, uh, ethics is important. How do we interconnect this data and how do we uh, get to communicate amongst players, providers? But I think uh, my request for people to review this is for everyone. Actually, it is for everyone, right? And so physicians, when they look at a patient's data, are they just looking at what's on the paper? Can they look at a more holistic point of view? Uh, is it for people creating technologies, which is focused on data analytics and insights? Are they just creating these systems and platforms, thinking just about patient experience, but not thinking about how does every point of contact impact the data they receive, right? So I think when every stakeholder starts thinking about data in that format, how they design technology, how they design customer experience, how they design delivery of care changes significantly in my point of view. So I think the heavy ask is, I think it's everyone's business. So I think everyone should, should view data differently. Do you, like you're working with a lot of organizations that are, are looking at this, are they seeing the return on investment? Like how do you think about the return on that investment around becoming artful in this because this is a big thing with like the privacy and ethics and stuff. It's like, is this just an overhead cost or is this kind of that defensive governance of it's going to keep us from getting in trouble? Or are you seeing that people that are doing this are actually having better results because they better understand what they're actually doing, what the their actual patients are, or, you know, they're better able to offer things that then mutually beneficial. It's beneficial to the company and to the patient. Great question again. So I think in my opinion, personal view and my own professional kind of view is that, you know, there are a lot of conversations between, you know, access to data and uh, monetizing data and exchange of data, placing social determinants of health at the center of data exchange. So these conversations are happening at a large level, a tactical level, at a strategic level, right? So uh, I can answer for each organization. Uh, but I think uh, the the question becomes, how do we exchange this data uh, in a more uh, smooth manner? What do we do with this data? How do we integrate this? 
And quite honestly, what is the impact of what are we trying to do with this data, right? So I, I don't think each organization or a unit or a person can be at a longitudinal format divorced from the fact that every decision we're making with this data has a, has a, has a health outcome of the patient, right? So I think that's, that's the ultimate goal, right? All this backend uh, information, it's not just collecting data and then what do we do with this data, right? It's not just exchange of data. It's, it's really tying to that value chain of what are the positive outcomes? Are patients really benefiting from this? Not just for that one clinical visit, but the longitudinal of the clinical visit, right? So I think that's how I am viewing this. Uh, but I know it's much more complicated than I just kind of capsuled it for you. Well, and, and it, it's more complicated in the U.S., but in a lot of other places, it's not, right? Because there there isn't this like trying to extract as much money from the system as possible versus, hey, our overall healthcare system is a national benefit and a national cost. So let's kind of optimize it instead of optimize profits at the expense of, of people. So it becomes difficult depending on who you're talking to, right? If you're talking to the NHS, where people literally pay nothing, if you're talking to a lot of these countries where there is um, private health insurance that everybody has to carry, and that's how it's it's done, but it's very, very heavily regulated. So it's it's interesting from from that standpoint. Where, who do you think is doing this well? Who do you think, like when you're thinking about your approach, like the way you wish people were doing it, do you see any, not not necessarily even this company versus like this kind of segment of the market is actually kind of figuring this out that others might want to look at? Because I'm also thinking about this, not just to healthcare, but other industries about getting smarter about this collecting data in the right way because then you get a, a more complete picture instead of I'm just trying to collect as much data as I can versus I'm kind of almost pre-processing in the way that I collect data. Very interesting question. But just to address the, you know, the European and the American uh, dream and the healthcare system, right? Uh, it, you know, it's pretty accurate. One is centralized, one is decentralized, one is more territorial in nature, which is America. And in a way, I think that's why we're all here, right? We try to fix the system, the issues in a systemic format, in a social impact format, uh, and every other thing that's influencing our, you know, our healthcare behaviors. Uh, so we all have work to do, uh, and maybe for many, many centuries to come. And uh, so, and coming back to your uh, other question is, who's actually doing this right? I think we're all trying to do our part, right? I'm not trying to be democratic about this, but I think how diplomatic about this. Uh, but I think that is that that is the truth because it is such a large system and such a complex ecosystem that we are all a little bit uh, confused at the same time, extremely smart. And I don't think any one stakeholder or player can do this independently, right? So that's public health. There is you know a consulting organization. There is NGO organizations, uh, which are really you know we all have to be on this circular table, exchanging ideas and thought leadership to really trying to figure out. Not if not what is that we're doing with the data, but how do we drive this data to make positive outcomes, whether it's using technology or we are just trying to, you know, discuss as a community or sitting on this podcast and just ideating on what to do. Um, so I don't think, uh, in short, I don't have a direct answer who's doing this better. But if I have to look at cross-industrial comparisons, um, then I then I think about uh you know, everyone in the environmental or like even manufacturers such as 
say, ad purifiers, right? So I plug in an ad purifier, it's collecting data real time, and I pull up my app, for example, Molecules, the company I use at home, which collects real data about what is the quality of my hair, uh, am I, what is my health affect to that? You know, so that real kind of interaction I have with the system, and then it allows me to take actions uh, within my own ecosystem on what I need to change, right? So do I need to pl- put more plants or I need to move to a different zip code? So I think that level of intimacy and interaction now I'm seeing when we're moving healthcare to home, right? So there's IoT devices, obviously data mesh, which is you know, collecting operation analytics together, trying to make this really kind of merge. So I think it's happening uh, in my point of view in a very fragmented format. And that's why I think healthcare is not just someone's clinical business. It's our uh, responsibility to look at cross-industrial, cross-functional capabilities and bring those uh, learnings to healthcare. Uh, but that's really you know, my kind of overall kind of a non-linear answer to your very linear question. So, so if somebody, you know, what, if, if you had your call to action on that, do you have something where you just say like everybody should be leaning in? Right? Is it that that we need more organizations to lean in and kind of do this stuff kind of more in the public eye, so that way people can see that there's progress and that other people can figure out that they could join and 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 create some momentum behind this, or is it that you say to organizations make it so people can act local, right? Like you just said, the the air purifier of, hey, like we're gonna make this so that you can help improve your health in a relatively easy manner, we're going to give you the capabilities there. Like, do you have something that, that you would recommend to people? I, I don't want to like put it all on your shoulders and say, you know, if, if you don't do this, then uh, nobody's going to move forward. But like, wh- where are you seeing like those kind of bright spots or where would you prefer to see more? Yeah, another great question. So, you know, I think health starts from home, right? So apart from the whole conversation of data, it starts with individual level, starts with community level, and then, you know, it ripple effects to the national and the global changes we want to see. So if you want someone, any individual person, to be empowered and take health in their own hands, uh, data and metrics matter, and access to obviously healthcare and every other benefit matters, right? So from a policy standpoint, from a healthcare organization standpoint, I think it is our duty and it is our uh, deliberate thought leadership that is required First, think about how do we bring empowerment to each in, to each individual and how do we um, make sure that it's sustainable? So then, there's a then yes, that I think Don's your question is, how do you make this data available at a real-time basis to every individual and then obviously give them to much of ability the access to XYZ that could be you know, access to proper food, access to a uh, primary care position. Um, at a more regular basis. And then it, it is really up to each individual to take that kind of a step, right? So um, so I don't know what it takes to do that. I think it takes, again, policymakers, physicians, uh, technology innovations, you know, Uber Health uh, does that, access to data. I think all of that, you know, fortunately, unfortunately, plays a tremendous amount of or even individuals. Yeah, and we get into kind of then that fun conversation around, okay, we want to give people full control of their own data so they can choose where to share it. And it's like, okay, that's great for us people that are technically literate. But, you know, I start to talk to my, my, my parents are, are interested in that, but they're, you know, in their seventies. And so they're interested in being able to share this data, but they have no idea if you give them any kind of app for trying to do that, they'd have no idea how to do that. A lot of people aren't interested. 
it just becomes a, a an interesting problem of the people that want to lean in on this. Can we make it so that there's economics behind this? However, that economics pays off, right? Whether that's actual dollars to companies or whether that's you know kind of public health benefits or anything like that, it becomes a a very difficult <laughs> thing to to try and figure out. Yeah, but you just addressed three three issues, right? One is how do we give access to caregivers in our ecosystem? I mean, we don't we don't credit our caregivers as much as we credit everyone else, right? Caregivers are under immense amount of physical and mental burden. And I use the word burden very consciously because you know we all as humans only have certain capacity. Even if they are the loved ones, we need to empower and support them as much as we support the individual. So this perfect example. Like if you if your parents are say eighty five years old and they need you know Scott's uh, help because you have access to the data and you can make better decisions and book appointments for them, I think that that is a personal right uh, to say my son needs access to my data because he's able to make those decisions. So so that is one, and the other one you're also addressing is digital equity, right? Not everyone has access to it. Not everyone has access to telehealth, right? There is a significant amount of population, the rural and urban areas of the United States. Who don't have access to internet, right? So then you're addressing questions about how do you practice equity in data? How do you practice equity in internet broadband access? And then obviously you know, sharing of data. How do you do it ethically, but also with a lot of empathy? Right? So I think uh, you're cutting through many layers. I don't have answers to all of that, but you know someone's working on it, right? We have policies and bills that are being passed to really uh, you know expand access to broadband and uh, implement uh, social determinants of health and data equity. But you know it's it's a long long shot. I thought you were going to solve all the problems of the world for us today. Is that is that not what we're doing on this episode? I think I have another 30 minutes to do that. And then uh, hopefully when this ends, we can all the problems are solved. But that would be great. So um, I, I wanted to kind of transition into something we talked about in the pre-call about, and you mentioned it a little bit about your view on kind of interconnectivity versus interoperability. I think this is very important, especially in the healthcare space of you know, I've talked with uh, Samia Rahman when she was on um, at CGen was talking about that um, fire standard is great and all, other than the fact that just because the things are supposed to match doesn't mean they actually match, right? Like, okay, your your view of what this word means, yes, you're you're putting it in this in the same format, but your view of what this actually means, so I can't actually we can interoperate at the data level, but not at the information level. And so, like, how do you think about that? Because people are very, very complex, you know, and our health is is, is probably the most complex aspect of, of human life. So, like, how do you start to think about when you talk to people about starting to do that, whether that's within their own organization, whether that's cross-organization, like, you know, you're, you're helping these organizations to get to a better spot. So how do you work with them to understand that challenge? and Or, or do they just already understand that challenge because anybody in healthcare just understands that? Or, and how do you get them, help them get to a, a slightly better kind of place? That's a great question. So you're, you're you know, two, two ways to answer this, right? One is to define what is interoperability and interconnectivity. Interoperability is basically trying to, you know, integrate two components uh, they could be mismatched, they could be, but you're just trying to connect a bridge between two different entities, right? Interconnectivity is really allowing this uh, shake hand 
between two components so they can interact with each other, right? It's, it's more back and forth than a one-sided kind of a structural conversation. So interoperability, which is used tremendously in uh, the world of data, is much more structural and much more one-sided for me. But interconnectivity is saying, how do we communicate in a much more flow-like manner, which I think is critical, right? Because then you're interconnecting and you're building this uh, relationship. So that's one. Uh, the other one you're addressing is, the real question I think I want to be hearing is, how do we make business stakeholders and tech stakeholders equally have this definition of what data is, create this data governance, but also have a communication between them, right? So in personal professional life, sometimes I use terms and people react differently. And then I hold back and I think, uh, I think this person has a different definition for this word. So, so in the last few years, my practice has become, say, I say, uh, data mesh. My first thought when you and I connected was like, Scott, what does data mesh mean to you, right? Because my definition and my perception of data mesh could be different from yours. But if you don't have that conversation at the get-go, then we're going to have communication issues, right? Because we're speaking from our own standpoints, and rightly so. So I think the the challenge and the the conversation becomes how do the business and IT stakeholders start communicating and defining what data means to them and how are they using data and how does the technology implementations or whether it's data mesh or data analytics inside really relate to business impact, business imperatives, and then obviously net, you know, patient health outcomes, right? So to me, it's more of a really talent management, organizational structure, top-down, bottom-up. Uh, and I think that's more of a leadership concern than just a data concern, right? So I think the goal is to integrate all of that. So, I mean, what I'm kind of getting from you is is the 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 dreaded you have to talk to people answer, which is like the the thing that, that data people uh, seem to want to push back on about, do I really have to go and do this? But I think um, we had somebody on, I can't remember who it was, but they were talking about there are two different layers of, of communication and I don't want them to, mix, I want there to be machine-to-machine commu -machine communication. It's API-based. That's like direct, like this is the format. This is how we're going to integrate. This is that. And then we have the person-to-person. -person. And this is the same thing that kind of comes up in the data contracts conversation, where I think people get data contracts way wrong, is if you don't wrap it around a data sharing agreement of like, what are we actually trying to do? Not just like, I will serve this in this format. It's like, I'm going to serve this in this format because I understand what you're trying to achieve and that if something's going to change, I don't just, okay, we've got a new version. It's like, hey, this thing is changing because of X, Y, and Z. Let's get you to a better place or a good place or, hey, I, you're trying to achieve this. You're trying to do it from this set of data. It would be way better if you did it from this set. So like, are you finding when you're going in and helping these these organizations, is it that they already know this and they just kind of need somebody to give them that little bit of a shove? Do they need a referee? Like why this seems coming from outside data, this seems like it should be obvious, but it, it doesn't seem to be, right? It seems to be happening that no organizations are really doing this very well. So I'd love to hear kind of what's going on in, in your head when you're going into these organizations. Uh, another great question. I'd love to hear your views also on this. So, you know, when I just heard that question, my first uh, thought was, you know, years back when I actually started my career, someone said, uh, Simi, if you ever become, you know, CEO and you lead a large organization, uh, the biggest tip they gave me was, if you have a vision and I enter your office 
and I ask you what's the vision. I ask say the VP what's the vision, and then I ask your you know your receptionist what's the vision. And if you all have three different visions and value systems, then you've not become a good CEO. So the common thread is for the leadership to make sure their vision, their goals, their values are not just at the high level, but it goes down across all chains, top down, horizontal, diagonal, and everyone understands why they're doing what they're doing and what is their impact uh, as an individual, right? And I think in my practice, I make sure anyone I work with, they understand, even if that could be writing three lines, that their role has an impact to the larger project and it has a larger impact to someone outside of the organization. So the, the first point is that value, that vision has to be aligned to prevent such conversations from happening, right? I think it everyone is doing their job and the duty, right? So the, in, the engineers or the data person having structures and formats, they're 100% supposed to be doing that. That's their job, right? And the executive is supposed to be doing exactly the other side of it, which is, you know, creating POVs and executive management. So to answer your question, uh, no one is doing that because of the same issue the business and the IT stakeholders are not communicating or they don't understand, right? Because once you start a project, it's not like you start a project and then you like figure it out. It's that constant engagement, that constant reminder of the impact they're making and how they aligned. It's very easy for engineers to forget because that's not really, you know, how we trade. I'm an engineer by background, very logical, but I've moved to the other side. So I can see how sometimes you're so focused on making that code work, that structure work, that you forget what the outcomes are. And that's why we need the stakeholders to be engaged on a more constant basis than just the, you know, the friend at the end of the project. And it's not just the project manager's job to just manage, right? So I think my answer to you is a holistic point of view. And at all points of time, everyone has been aligned on the vision and the outcomes, and they should not forget that. Right? And that's a leadership concern than a engineer or data person's concern. Yeah, uh, Harada Rishani was on recently, um, and she was talking about this kind of same thing too of, hey, when we're working on a data project and we're delivering, we are having sometimes three times a week a meeting, and everybody's there, and you can start to sense when people are pulling back or when there's miscommunication, because it's like, if this drives value, you need to invest your time into it instead of kind of this, I throw my requirements over the wall. I expect that you've understood everything that I've said. And let's say even you did. Well, it comes three months later and you're delivering. My expectations have changed, even though I didn't tell you they've changed. And so like, oh, okay. You know, and, and I was talking with uh, somebody today about kind of in these large companies, a lot of times it's nine month cycle between data request and data delivery. And so these people put in kitchen sink requests. Because they go, hey, I don't know which of these 17 requirements are going to be the things that matter, but I know three of them are, so I'm going to put all 17 down. And then it's, of course, not going to deliver the value we expected because we're putting down on paper as if we expected all of those 17 to deliver the full amount of value instead of three of these will be good and 14 will be kind of useless. So like, is this something that people kind of know and just don't? acknowledge or is it something that that where when you're having these conversations is it kind of kind of bringing them back to reality or like how are you how are you having that you know i'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus but it's it's just it's weird to me coming from outside of this space to see how often this comes up but it's everywhere it's in every organization and it's in every project and it just keeps coming back in and it's it's this 
this dragon that is never tamed. It just keeps coming back and you have to keep fighting it. Yeah, you know, um, this comes back again to uh, you know the amount of data we have, the amount of patients we have to serve, the amount of you know healthcare management burnout, physician burnout, and all of this, right? So it, it's it's easier said than done. I can say this is how you need to view data. This is how you need to you know restructure, reorg, and I think eventually we all have to do that if we really want to serve a society for the better. Uh, and so I think the biggest struggle is I'm sure everyone is aware, right? We're all dealing with patients and lives at the end of the day. I think we're all aware, but I think it all comes down to day-to-day projects and work, right? We need to execute our next project. We need those insights to make uh, you know, certain outcomes or certain decisions for the business stakeholders, for the board members to review this. So everything is so fast moving. On top of that, we have you know technology innovations where we all have to catch up. And there are new uh, you know, integrations, implementations, and then the system goes down. So there's always this, you know, sometimes I call uh, my work or, you know, my colleagues' work as working in 911, right? Everything is urgent. So how can you, uh, when you're working with data and patients' lives, you know, throwing in more empathy here, it, it is tough. And I think everyone's doing the best and trying to do the best they can to do with data. But I think that's why uh, the leadership format, the organizational structure, sharing the values and the vision and taking, you know, going slow before going fast for every project is important. Um, so that is not just a structure that's thrown over saying, hey, do this, and then I'll meet you at the end of it, and hopefully you've delivered in the project, right? But if I told someone your insights is going to cure someone from getting diabetes and giving them, that there's much more value and weight to that than someone dealing with the data as just data. That brings us back to our first initial conversation is that how do you, how do you view data? Uh, because that changes perception, that changes the intent, and that changes how you actually approach it. Uh, so that's my, again, long, long answer for your question. <laughs> I, I'm going to ask a question that seems simple to, to answer in the first blush, but it's really not, and it's okay to pass on. But like, um, so you're talking about that we're, the way that we do the communication doesn't really work, right? Or Or it seems that we keep talking past each other is that because we're breaking down our projects in the wrong way is it because we're not structuring it so that the communication stays up to date it's as if hey any change to anything is seen as bad versus we're learning more we're getting better and we're not doing that iteration is there something that's that's kind of missing there or is that just too abstract because it's different in every single situation yeah, so I think it's not black or white, right? It's not that obviously we're here because something is working, right? Because communication somebody has been working. So I don't think it's it's broken or not. It's more of, you know, Kaizen, right? How do we see the small glitches and how do we practice this constant state of improvement uh, to really become this efficient, not 100%, some form of efficiency in the system. So I don't think the issues is are we not communicating. Are we communicating fast enough? I think that's, that's a time gap, right? Because system is changing, uh, Requirements are changing for the business stakeholders and then for them to come back and to change goals and management goals and convey that back to the tech and vice versa. Uh, I think it it takes some level of trust. It takes some level of communication skills. And also sometimes people don't know why it's changing. So it's hard to communicate, right? So I don't so that's why I think it's not black or white. But to even communicate that, I think it's critical, right? Something is not working. And if the business stakeholder is like, hey, something is changing. And I don't know, 
I think approaching communication, not from a stage of fear, but more of from a stage of vulnerability, but to build trust and relationship, I think may shift on how the, you know, the interconnectivity between tech and business stakeholders takes place. So I think uh, it's a very gray area, um, but you know, it's almost like how do we place therapy in between, between the ecosystem to make this kind of this fluent conversation happen is the question. Yeah, one of the offerings of the the company that I'm starting is is literally data mesh therapy because of of like these things of just like being able to decompress and and I just talked to somebody earlier today about how we're going to do an episode on how do we create psychological safety in data and how do we start to think about psychological safety around the data of work but also of the data itself. The data told us something wrong, so the data was wrong. And it's like, no, we just have to think about this as fault tolerance and this thing, you know, we had to have some tolerance and it had a fault and that's fine or, you know, we're, we're updating our, our information. But it's like thinking about that in, in human cognition terms, you know, oh, we just update the data. Okay, but are we updating our understanding or? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a great initiative, right? Data mesh therapy. I think, uh, you know, someone was sharing with me that cybersecurity professionals have a high burnout rate and they're about to, you know, leave the, leave the job because, they're the front-end workers, as much as those data are, data people are front-end workers, right? They have the data, they have this huge sense of responsibility. So I'll be surprised if I'm dealing with lives and data and someone has to make significant decisions and I have zero anxiety. I would be more worried if I had no anxiety and I had no burnout, right? So I think the question is, how do we create this ecosystem of safety, of communication, vulnerability, so that people dealing with data don't feel, uh, you know, uh, less unsafe to share issues in the work they're doing. And I think that's that that goes both ways and and I guess across every industry. Well and, and sharing I don't know and that that's a valid thing and that's that's something to dig into and that that's okay. And so um but I think this this actually does kind of transition well into one thing that we were planning on talking about, which was um kind of the holistic view of the person and patient privacy and how do we think about empathy? How do we think about empathy for the patient? How do we think about empathy for those care workers, you know, or the caregivers where you go, hey, I'm going into this doctor and they don't have any of my information from anybody else. And therefore, I have to give them all the same information and it may have changed in my head or I may have forgotten something. And so, you know, or, or you look at like pharmacists and they're, they're like, if they don't know what you're taking, they can't protect you from, you know, bad drug interactions and things like that. So, like, how how are you thinking about, well, you talked about this a little bit already, but, like, how are you thinking about creating that holistic view, but still not, uh, you know, what we've seen is anytime somebody is saying, well, we're going to create a holistic view, they've used it to monetize me. Right. They've used it to uh, kind of against me instead of for me. And they might say, we're offering you this service, but it's like, you know, you give me one cookie and you take 19. Right. Yeah. And so it's like, OK, great. That's not really a fair exchange. Yeah. Uh, so many good questions. So, yeah, to me, three things are important. Right. One is transparency. That's price transparency, care transparency. What are we paying for and what are we getting for the market? Um, the other one is obviously. Um, is ethics, uh, is really being ethical from individual standpoint, from organization standpoint. Right? Um, and then that shifts into the whole conversation we have been having for decades is value-based care. Um, so if you integrate all of that, it's, it's one, information is power. I think every individual has to educate themselves on 
you know, not, you don't have to go to the nitty gritty of everything, but just understand what are the process of healthcare? How do they uh, take care of the health at an individual level? What are they getting for? How do the pharmacies work? How do the PBMs work? The payers providers, and then you know, use that information to have real conversations with their primary care or with whoever that is to to get the best of healthcare. And the same level of accountability goes with payers and providers and insurance and you know whatever you want to call that is to how do they ethically practice giving the uh, highest quality of care than just trying to milk us for just quantity of care, right? So that's a value-based care conversation we're having. Do we, are we actually getting, you know, the great quality of care for the amount we're paying? Are we just, you know, doing a bunch of tests and getting a bunch of supplements and medicines for something which has very minimal, uh, you know, outcome for us? So it's, a, it's actually a very troubling question for me because a lot of people ask me, uh, you know, should I take this medication? And I'm generally like, you know, don't take the medication, right? Like, how do you? And but I'm also afraid because I don't know the person's entire, you know, background. So that's why I think having a second opinion, a third opinion for individuals to take health in their own hands, educating themselves about nutrition, food, wellness is much more important because we, at some point, need to make the move from healthcare to wellness, and that's when we're going to see the shift, right? Um, and healthcare, to to be honest, is really in business because we're not prioritizing wellness. So I'm not sure if I'll answer your question, but I think I'm trying to move the question to more of us practicing value-based care and taking wellness and health into our own individual hands than questioning the system to make changes, because that's going to take a long time as much as it has today. Yeah, I mean, the whole economic system of, you know, and then that we're seeing more and more fragmentation simply because if you want good offerings, those come at kind of that micro level. They don't come at the, we're going to offer you all wellness for every aspect. You're not going to get best of breed for anything. You're going to get mediocre kind of everything. But then it becomes, I've got information in 40 different apps. None of it integrates. So like, can we give somebody a holistic picture? Can we actually do that? Do companies want to give up their data that could be integrated into other systems or things like that? It, it becomes a lot of challenges like that. You know, uh, one interesting point I'll make is, uh, you know, recently Spotify, you know, the the music app has a lot of data. And I think the CEO just launched a healthcare vertical. And I just thought, what a brilliant way to extract data. You know, the person's zip code, uh, music they're listening to, maybe a little more data, I don't know. Uh, But the holistic view, I think, is important. Uh, We obviously have to do that with, you know, legal liabilities in mind, privacy in mind, all of that criteria is in place. But I think the holistic view is the only way we can give precision care and precision medicine, right? If I come to you saying I have a headache, but I don't tell you I have a history of, say, diabetes or cancer or maybe depression, you're not going to be able to give me the right care at the right time at the right cost, right? You're going to be addressing that band-aid but not the root of the issue. So the question comes back into... How do we again view data as the root problem and extract the data, whether it's uh, white labeled or not, doesn't matter. But how do we give the utmost quality of care with all the you know kind of dots dots in place and can connect those dots to really reduce healthcare cost? Yeah, and that's where I kind of start to talk about information versus data because data can just be the ones and zeros, and that's kind of how we've treated it versus like. What are we actually trying to communicate? Like, what 
what are the things that I think might be wrong or why? And like, how do we, how do we start to, to dig into that? It gets very, very complex, very, very quickly. And, and there are, it's great if we can give people the capability to do that, but there are so many people that don't know one, that they have that capability or if they do at all, how to leverage it. So then do we have to spend, you know, a huge amount of time and effort teaching them how to manage themselves? And it just, it becomes this kind of bigger and bigger question. <laughs> That I don't think we're going to be able to solve today. No, it's noble, right? And that's why I think education is part of it. Awareness is part of it. And every part of care, care of healthcare, I think people need to be educated, right? I don't expect every person to understand healthcare. I mean, to be very transparent, I don't understand all parts of healthcare. And right? every day I'm like, wow, this is a thing. Uh, so, you know, that goes for everyone else, right? So I think we need to remember that uh, on, a, on a daily basis. Yeah. Totally agree. So uh, I, there was one thing that we were talking about in the pre-call that I thought was really, really fascinating. So I wanted to, to kind of wrap up on this. And um, I think it could be its own like two-hour, three-hour conversation. So we'll, we'll, we'll kind of keep it kind of high level. But what you've been seeing with kind of digital twins, and I think it might help to start with, uh, you know, kind of what we talked about of earlier, where you said, hey, I might be using a term and I'm using it way differently than you. I had somebody try and explain digital twins to me and it I didn't get any of it. And it was totally different than what I thought. I went and talked to a different person and their definition was essentially exactly the same as mine. So I'd love to hear what you, what you think of what digital twins are, but like how a person's digital twins, their digital data set can be used in healthcare for very effective attempts at treatment, right? Of trying something or seeing what might happen. Yeah, I'm really fascinated by this concept because I think it has uh, much depth and thought put through it. So my definition of digital twin is, uh, the concept is how do you replicate a person or a system, could even be a city, uh, on a virtual format, right? For example, uh, someone replicates Simi's digital twin. So it's my replication and say Simi has uh, high blood pressure. So my physician will go to the virtual version of me give this virtual version different medications, see how this virtual version reacts or different treatments. And then based on that reaction, he or she is able to derive to this precision care in medicine, right? And be like, okay, so Simi reacts to X medicine in a poor format. And finally, derives the conclusion that Z is the best medicine for Simi, given the entire, you know, historical data, pre-existing conditions, lifestyle stress, stressors, and so then the physician would come to the actual Simi and be like, Simi, based on digital two responses, this is the precise care, the medicine you need. So now what's really happened is you saved the actual Simi from adverse effects, from extra medicine cost, from extra physician time, from extra you know fuel cost from driving to providers. So you're really driving, uh, you know, less healthcare costs, less burden, less. Uh, medicine cause, all of that by just doing this digital twin. The same can be replicated for healthcare systems. So I can pick up a, a hospital system, be like, I would like to do a digital twin for a supply chain, replicate the virtual uh, benefits of that, do various variations, and then go back to the leadership and say, this is how we need to redesign supply chain for your inventory management, right? So to me, it's so fascinating that using digital twin, we can change lives, but also prevent loss of life and make quality of life decisions at a much more shorter decision-making time. So that to me is digital twin. And obviously data sets play a huge role because without data sets, there's no way we can pop digital twin. 
Where where are you? See, I mean, it, it plays into exactly the thing you were talking about earlier of wellness, right? Of like, how how do we think about this kind of holistic care and, and treating kind of the long term instead of, okay, you've got this thing today, I'm going to try and treat that today. But like, how do you think about where things have progressed in that in healthcare and, and the limits? Because we kind of talked about this of, I don't think any digital twin could understand that like if uh you know we're talking about your your um you know you go raw raw vegan diet that i probably would die on that in about three days and like literally because my stomach absolutely despises any raw vegetable like it would just make me so incredibly sick i can basically have lettuce and that's the only and carrot and those are the only two raw vegetables that i can have otherwise it makes me incredibly sick so, like, how would that be known by the digital twin? Is that something that has to be input? Or are you seeing things where people are even, like, analyzing, you know, gut flora and, and that type of thing? Or are you seeing that it's still, we're still at its infancy? Are you seeing, like, that it's really, like, talking about cancer treatment and you go, hey, you've got this and you've got these, like, 17 different cofactors. So we think that this is the most likely uh, medicine path or, or treatment path to go down. Are you seeing that it's at that yet? Are you seeing that we're still kind of at that infancy of, hey, if you do these right kind of diet and exercise, we think that it'll have this impact or we think that you, you know, doing more exercise versus you doing more diet will be the thing that will maybe help your cholesterol or something like that. Where, where are we right now in that, th that kind of general space? Yeah, so in the concept, I think overarching digital twin, I think within healthcare, uh, it's obviously a very sensitive uh, concept, right? Because we're still dealing with lives and making these decisions. I think there are some organizations that are a little bit ahead in speed and some are still, you know, conducting minimal viable products to really test this out as a concept. And that's why data is important. How much data of a patient do we have? Like if you say, I'm going to give you three months of data, that's not enough. Right? And it's caught, say, uh, data from birth to understand if Scott's allergic to lettuce or is reacting poorly to that, is it genetics that's playing it? Was he having a lifestyle stressor that's changed his DNA or his genes? So that level of data is actually required to make this very you know, efficient and actually uh, realistic, right? So if you go to a dietitian and they need all these data sets of you, right? They would need to be like, okay, the last 10 years, when did the shift happen? Or was Scott always like this? So what is the root issue that, that gave birth to this issue as Scott cannot have raw vegetables, right? And then, and then perform you know, variations to digital, digital twins saying, okay, we give Scott you know, a box of spinach. He reacted to this. Maybe he did. Maybe it was a combination of Scott eating water and lettuce that created this impact, right? So that level of probability comes with that level of robust data set that we need. Uh, so in healthcare, I think we are still you know, chipping away and trying to really uh, make it act. But I think in other industries like real estate and manufacturing and even supply chain, we've obviously done uh, much more uh, you know, leaps in digital trend because the data sets are much more narrow than compared to this diverse of a human being. Yeah, well, and there's just so much stuff that we can't necessarily know or that people don't know about themselves or that it is... Yeah. Factors that you don't know are the things that are causing it or anything like that. Um, you know, like I thought 
I was having hay fever and it turned out I was it was COVID that I was just sneezing like crazy. But like I didn't think that was a very common thing. But it, for some reason, like at that point, it was just that was my main symptom was just sneezing all day, every day for about four or five days, you know, I had other stuff. But like you don't know, is that because it's it's, you know, hay fever season or because of, you know, anything like that, it, it becomes more and more complex. So. But it's good to hear that it's progressing, but that we're not also saying that it's magic yet, right? Like that's that's good to know that it's not. 100%. And I think, you know, everything to me personally is everything is a practice. There's no one point in life where a healthcare, anyone is going to know about, right? Like COVID was, was news to us. Like we still don't know the implications and the long-term effects of COVID. So similarly, we don't know about every disease and every incidence and every data of a, of a person. Uh, so I think we should remember that, but not that should not be a barrier for us to kind of evolve into different formats. Well, I, I mean, I feel like we could go into this things and way, way, way deep for many, many more <laughs> hours or anything. But um, is there anything we didn't cover today that you really wanted to or any way you'd kind of want to wrap up the episode? I think my only two cents is for anyone listening to this is to get a change the lens on how they're viewing data. In my own personal and professional experience, I, I view data as not just any data. It's really changing someone's life. I think that's important. Uh, and really weaving an empathy into the company's vision and value so that everyone understands and is aligned. I think that's only two cents, and I think we've covered that. But just, you know, to wrap this up. Yeah, I have a lot of uh, the word empathy and transparency and vulnerability in a lot of the notes that I've got here. So I think that's that's come through. and. Um, well, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that would like to follow up with you. Where's kind of the best place to do that? Anything specific you'd like people following up about? Um, just on LinkedIn. If you go, if you look up Smriti Kirbanan, then I should pop up. That's really about it. Okay. Well, and you've got your podcast. We'll drop a link to that in the, in the show notes as well. So, uh, well, again, thank you so much, Simi, for your time here today. And as well, thank you, everyone out there for listening. Thank you for having me, Scott. Such a great conversation. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Smirti Kirubandaran, a healthcare and public health data expert. You can find a link to her LinkedIn and her podcast in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started. So give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information as a service firm. Our offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. 
As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well. And have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music. Thank mm-hmm. you.